0: are listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, Mission Ridge. It is good to see you. We are in our second week of our vision series. Uh, we start our, our ministry season following. The school year, kind of like some, some uh, organizations, their fiscal year runs July to July. Our ministry season basically follows the school year, and so uh, we are just uh, looking to kick off the year. Everybody on the same page. And, uh, you know, kind of like spring training, where you go over to those plays again, over and over again. You, you turn double plays. You... Uh, you shag some balls, Logan didn't know what that meant. Um, someone that, that's a baseball player should tell him that's catching fly balls. Um, you work on grounders, working on bunting the ball. So running the bases, that's what we're doing. And last week we talked about why, why this is, our vision series is called The Story We Tell. And that's because our stories are not our own. They are interconnected. And we tell a story about what we value through the lives that we live. We looked at a verse um, last week that talks about us being living stones. They're that being built up. We're living stones. They're being built up. And we're, we're a mosaic. As we come together, we are a mosaic. And each of us has our part of the story and together, we tell a story to our community about who our God is. And we're also a kingdom of priests. And a priest helps people to connect to their God. A priest has to tell an accurate story about their God. A priest takes their lives and they ordain their lives in such a way so that they honor their God and, and they live for their God. That's, that's what we are called to as a people And in this five-week series, we want to wrestle with this question. How do we tell an accurate story of who our God is? Because when people look at us, but I bet Charlie has has said this once or twice, those of you who know Charlie Couch, but you may be the only Bible that anybody ever reads. The way you live in Missoula, That may be the only exposure to the scriptures and to your God for the people around you. I recently read a post by Brandon Ginden. He's the lead pastor of the Real Life Texas church plant down in Houston. And they are just a few years ahead of us. In his post, Brandon shared how God had used the devastating circumstances of Hurricane Harvey to connect his church to people in need. Within the community, Brandon met Greg and Laura, his wife, as they helped their family in the cleanup process. Greg hadn't been connected to church in many years, and honestly, he really wanted nothing to do with with Christianity. But he was interested in relationship with with men, and so the Brandon's church they just kept inviting. Greg in, kept inviting him in. 18 months later, Greg was growing as a disciple and leading other men to connect to Christ. So what happened? What happened within that 18 months that led him to stand in front of men of their church speaking about the power of disciple making? Brandon said, to answer those questions, we must look at the culture. And again, this church is just a few years old. He says, simply stated, culture is the way we do things. It's the way we collectively, as a group, do things. Culture is not the product of what's written in the church bulletin, although it's in here. Or declared... In a set of bylaws, culture is the product of the deep values and convictions of those who live within the culture. My friends, we get to create culture with a church plant, with a church this size. We get to influence the culture. And I trust that God has brought the people that we need to make culture happen in such a way that Missoula will see something different about a community of people who love God Today and throughout this series, I'm asking you to know and live out the values of our church. I invite you to know them, but also embrace them and, and internalize them and live them, evaluate your conduct against them. Like that's how we will make culture that will outsurvive the culture of our community around us. So last week, we looked at authenticity. We're gonna throw it back up on board. Um, we did change the last line. I thought the last line, uh, which, is, which was a lot like roughly right, I felt like I had to explain it when I said it. I don't wanna to have to explain this core value when you read it, I want, want, I want to answer all the questions that you have about that core value. So the last line says, we will commit to authentic living in order to build trust, strengthen relationships, and grow as a community. So that's the last line of authenticity. This week, we are looking at sacrificial generosity. And by the way, if you missed last week's message, you can... You can listen to it online through our website. Sacrificial generosity. God's church is meant to be a people of love and good works. We will be generous. We will serve. We will sacrifice. We will love our neighbor. Now, spoiler alert. This is not a tithing sermon. That's another conversation another day. So this is not a tithing sermon. Last week, in talking about authenticity, we looked at the greatest commandment and the culture we see Jesus creating through his church. And I'll revisit that Matthew passage again. Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. Teacher, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great." commandment and first commandment. And a second is like it. Now, Jesus wasn't asked for two. He was asked for one. A second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, when Jesus says that loving your neighbor, Jesus is saying to us, loving your neighbor is the lens, is the lens that we look through to determine how well we're loving God, what kind of cr- culture does this create? Well, it creates a culture where people look for ways to forgive sins. If you sin against me, I should be looking for a way to forgive you. It creates a culture where people are looking a way to show grace. It creates a culture where people look for a way to meet needs. And it creates a culture where people are looking for ways to help others worship God with them. That's the culture I believe Jesus is trying to create in his church. And I think we're going to see the greatest commandment come up in today's story. And when, I, when we look at, when I think about sacrificial generosity, I think about the story of Ruth in the Old Testament. So we're going to take a look at that, Ruth 1, 1 through 5, to start. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were... Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died. So that the woman was left with, without her two sons, and her husband. Now in the rest of chapter one, we read that Naomi returns to Bethlehem from Moab and Ruth accompanies her. And and Ruth says, wherever you go, I will go. But not only that, she says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so Ruth pledges herself to Naomi But to give you a sense of how dire their situation was, Naomi refused to be called by her birth name, which means pleasant. Naomi means pleasant. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. Because she says the Almighty has afflicted me. So this is some hard times for these two ladies. Now, uh, continue on in Ruth chapter 2. Now, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of field belonging to Boaz, who was in the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to this young man, Who was in charge of the reapers? Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not... Go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bound to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I think Naomi recognizes her failures and the failures of her family. When the author, when you see in the biblical narrative, I'm talking about someone leaving Israel during a time of famine. This is a common story throughout the scriptures. There's a famine in Israel and the people leave, but God always calls them back. And I think what we're seeing here, Naomi and her family is that they, they lost hope in God. They weren't sure God was going to show up. And so they left Israel to go to Moab. Once back in Israel, Nomi and Ruth would be beggars. Women didn't own land at that time. They would have been dependent on the generous relatives and the storehouses operated by the priests. So why is Ruth looking to glean the fields? What's the context to the story? Well, to find out, we're going to go to Leviticus chapter 19. Verses 9 and 10 says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge. So picture a square plot of land. They did subsistence farming. You know, this isn't like farming in. you know, uh, out on the Palouse where you got hunt thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. And, you know, one farmer is is producing enough Wheat for, you know, for the community, for the, for the region. They have a plot of land. And right next to that plot of land is another plot of land. And right next to that is another plot of land. And so as you go to reap, you walk and buy your neighbor's plots. And you walk up to your plot. And you, and you reap the harvest. But, but we're told not to reap the harvest right up to the edges. Neither shall you gather, gather the gleanings after your harvest. In other words, if you drop some, you leave it. And you shall not strip your vineyards bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. So when you, when you glean your grapes, you go through once. And if you drop some, you leave them. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Why? Why? Because I am the Lord, your God. Guys, Boaz lived this out. But more than that, Ruth lived this out, the Moabite. Like it seems like she's a better Israelite than Naomi. While while Naomi is heaping condemnation on herself and and not trusting that that God is going to supply, Ruth looks to God and looks to the faithfulness of the people and trusts that God can work through his people. In reading further in the book of Ruth, we find that Boaz does even more. He tells his men to purposefully leave behind extra. Like he is being generous above and beyond the requirement of the law. And the question becomes, why is Boaz being so generous to someone who walked away from God and, and a foreigner who they have some bad history with? In fact, the history is so bad that the Lord says to the 10th generation, a descendant of a Moabite can't enter into the presence of the Lord. That's how bad the conflict is between Israel and Moab. That's how bad their history is. And yet, Boaz looks beyond that. And is generous. Sacrificially so. Extravagant. And I wonder, like, why, why, is, why is he being this Generous. And I found it interesting that there are two places in scripture where Israel is commanded to not reap right up to the edges of the field. I asked my son, Jacob, I said, where where do you think those two places are? And he picked Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which I would have been right alongside of them. Like Leviticus, you've stated it clearly. Must be in Deuteronomy, must be somewhere else in Torah. But It's actually only four chapters away. It's mentioned twice in Leviticus. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Not a lot different, is it? It basically says the same thing four chapters later. It leaves the part about the grapes out, which that could be significant. But as far as the the reaping of the field, it reads exactly the same. And answer the question of why I want to pan out and look at the larger context of Leviticus 19 and Leviticus 23, because I think we may... We may glean something here together. You like that? That was good. I just thought of that. Um, Leviticus 19, 9 through 18. So when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your fields right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyards bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, why? Because I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. Why? Because I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you. All night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a summing block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. Why? He's still the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You should not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You should not go around as a slander among the people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, why? Because I am the Lord. Because I'm the creator of everything. I'm the creator of you, and I'm the creator of you, and I'm creator of you. I'm the creator of the one you're in conflict with. I'm God of all of it, he says. This is the love your neighbor as yourself section. This is is the second part of the greatest commandment that Jesus refers to. Isn't that interesting? And then Leviticus 23, we're going to kind of zoom out, look at Leviticus 23. And Leviticus 23 talks about how you celebrate your God throughout the year. If you're an Israelite, it starts with Sabbath, which is a weekly, it's it's a weekly observance. And then the other six feasts, as they are, The other six festivals um, are sometimes a one day festival, sometimes a week long festival, and they all include a food offering. Interesting. They all include a food offering. And right in the middle of all seven observances, you have this and when you reap the harvest of your land, you should not reap your field right up to his edge, nor shall you gather your gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. And I sent Marty Solomon a text. I'm like, Marty, this looks like a chiasm to me. A, B, C, D, C1, C2, or sorry, A, B, C, D, C, B, A. And what's interesting is he agrees. Now we talked about chiasm a couple of weeks ago. We also talked about chiasm in our Bible basics. So if you if you have questions about that, um, take a listen to either of those sermons. We could help you connect to that. Uh, we could explain that further. But in a chiasm, there's a hidden treasure in the middle. There's something that God wants you to take notice of. And when you look at all of these feasts, the six feast, it talks about what day it starts. It talks about how you'll celebrate the Lord. It's, it's very, it's, it's, like a, it's like an order of service. We have pieces of paper up here that tell us when we're doing what song. Leviticus 23 is kind of written that way. You're going to do this, and then you're going to do this, and then you're going to do this, and you're going to do this to celebrate me as your God. That's how Leviticus 23 is written. And one time, the author breaks away and, and says something different, says something unique, says something they said four days or four, verse, four chapters earlier. Oh, they're on stone tablets. It might have been longer than four days. Maybe, maybe when you don't mow up to your edges, reap up to your edges, I always think in terms of mowing, when you don't reap up to the edge of your fields, you give others the ability to worship God with you. Because what, what if it comes to harvesting time And your family walks out to their plat and there's nothing there because there was a fire. Because you were sick when it was time to plant. Because you were lazy or someone in your family was lazy. Or because you left the region. You went to Moab and took on foreign wives for your sons. And lost everything, and you've returned, and you want to worship the Lord, but your plot of land has nothing, nothing on it. How do you worship? Well, when there are men like Boaz, and they don't reap up to the edges. And not only that, but they lay down extras so that you can eat, which is important because God cares about that. He's your creator. But also for you to have the opportunity to worship alongside Boaz and the rest of the community throughout the year. I think that's what we're seeing in this story. That, my friends, is sacrificial generosity. Leviticus 23, this is how you worship the Lord your God. Leviticus 19, this is how you love your neighbor. Maybe this is where Jesus gets his source material for the greatest commandment. And maybe that's what it looks like to live out the greatest commandment. Sacrificial generosity. How do we love God? What's the best measure? There's, there's a lot of measures. There's good measures for how we love God. But maybe the best measure, what Jesus says, is how you're loving people. So the implication is this. Living out the greatest commandment creates space for others to worship our God with us. My friends, if we are sacrificially generous In our neighborhoods, I guarantee you, people are going to start coming to know Christ. And they're going to worship God with us. It's the very best witness that we can have of who our God is. And the application is this. Number one, grow your relationship with God. We originally had this as uh, take one seventh of your week and connect with God. What does that sound like? Sabbath. I feel like we, we throw that term Sabbath around. And it's become so familiar, it's unfamiliar. We throw Sabbath around. And what we mean a lot of times is I'm going to take a rest. I'm not working today. Or I should take a Sabbath. I think I, that's when I hear it the most. Out of folks, I should take a Sabbath. I'm not going to, but I should. Sabbath is more than rest. Sabbath is about connection with God. And there's even a Sabbath of the land. You know, that's, that's something if Boaz isn't, isn't resting the land like God calls him to, there's not going to be enough of a harvest for him to be able to share with Anybody? So we need Sabbath. The land needs Sabbath. It's more than taking a rest. It's more than not working. It's about connection with God. And so I'd encourage you to connect with God on a regular basis. Take time. Figure out how to grow that, your connection with the Lord. Start there. Number two, budget your priorities. And when, when I say this, I want you to consider four questions. Number one, what would not reaping up to the corners look like for your family? I don't know how many farmers we actually have in, in the crowd. We have any farmers? Dave, don't pull, up, don't pull teeth up to the edges. I don't know. I don't know. What does this look like for us in, you know, 21st century? Number two, when it comes to your time, your talent and treasures, are you consistently maxed out? Is all your time scheduled? Is every last dollar scheduled? Your talents, do you have room to share your talents with anyone? And, and I'll say this, sometimes sometimes. All of our money is maxed out because we're the one to need. We're the one that needs to someone someone else needs to be generous with. Like we something's taken place that's unusual. It's out of our control. I've been there. I've been on the giving and the receiving side of generosity. So if you're on the if you're on the receiving side, of, there's no shame in that. That's that's God's community, that's kingdom, that's God is your provider, and sometimes He provides not through a paycheck, but through, through, a family, someone who's generous. Sometimes we don't have very much money, but we have a lot of time. We actually all have the same amount of time. I don't know if you knew that or not. My son years ago uh, had applied for a job and. He had recently told me just before that, he was like 16, 15, 16 years old. And he says, Dad, I, I just don't know if I could work. I, I don't know if I have enough time. Well, when he applied for the job, they made him map out all every hour. He had to blacken, it out, blacken out every hour that he was doing something. He was either sleeping or going to school or going to church. Those were the three things that he had to do. The other things he wanted to do, but he didn't have to do them. Right. He saw a lot of white space when he looked when you looked beyond the what he had to do. There were very few hours blocked out for what he had to do. There were way more time for what he wanted to do. Are you number three, third question for do you to consider in budgeting your priorities? Are you doing good things or the best things? Sometimes we're doing good things that get in the way of the best things that God's calling us to. They get in the way of our priorities. Number four, if you look back on the past nine months of this year, would the way you spent your time, talents, and treasures match? Your priorities. If they don't, your budget's out of whack, or you're not following a budget at all. Application number three: premeditate generosity. Boaz had his men purposely lay down extras. That's premeditated generosity. And that's what we're called to as a people that's the kind of people that we should be. What would premeditate generosity look like for your family? and then number four, connect that person to God. connect that person to God and I pull this this application from experiencing God if you if you haven't been through the experiencing God workbook or, or class, I encourage you, we're gonna run another series here in about six weeks. We're halfway through. But Jesus, I believe that most of Jesus's miracles were interruptions. Jesus is walking this way and someone comes along and says, I'm blind, can you heal me? Like Jesus wasn't intending to blind, heal a blind person. But God brought a blind person to him. Or, or Jairus with his daughter. Jesus is heading one direction and here, here comes a woman. She touches the, the edge of his garment, looking for healing. Jairus, he's looking for healing. Like Jesus allowed God to interrupt his schedule all the time. And sometimes God brings someone into our lives. We're like, why are they here? We're like swatting at them like they're a gnat. (laughs) I don't have time for you. Get out of my way. Maybe you're missing out on a divine intervention because you're not letting God interrupt your schedule. Because they were made in his image too. Connect that person to God. When God brings someone into your life over and over again, ask the question, God, what are, you, what are you doing here? Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus was always in tune. God, oh, conversation I wasn't intending on having. God must want to do something here. I pray we become that kind of people that recognizes those, those opportunities and connects people to God, connects people to our care groups, connect them to Sunday service, connect them to our lives, if they're not ready for the first two. We see Jesus on the cross, and we, in a moment, we're going to partake in communion together. Sacrificial Generosity put on display on the cross. Jesus gave everything in order for you and I to be able to connect to the Father, for us to be able to have a relationship the way he had a relationship, unfettered. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up and, and grab the elements. And if this is your first time with us, We have an open table, which means if you're here to celebrate Jesus as Lord, then we invite you to partake with us. I want you to think about, as you come up and grab the elements, I want you to think about sacrifice, the generosity you see in your God, your Savior, through the work of Christ on the cross come and grab the elements. We're going to hold them until we take them together, but please come grab the elements. You know, there's heroes in stories, usually not the hero of the story, but they are a hero within the story where they sacrificed their life. They jump in front of the bullet in a split moment decision. Jesus didn't just jump in front of a bullet. Jesus knew, he premeditated his generosity. He said, Father, if you could take this cup for me, please do so, but not my will, your will. And it was the realization of what was going to take place was so intense that he swept blood. I can't imagine what that night was like, the night in which he was betrayed. And yet, facing that next day, thinking about what that next day would hold, he was still discipling his disciples. He was still discipling him. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. And he took the bread and he broke it. So let's take and remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He took the cup. I can't imagine saying these words. He said, this is new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do it and remember to me, let's take this together. Jesus, you are so generous. So that we could be able to worship your God together with you. Thank you for loving me like that. Thank you for loving all of us like that. I'm humbled by your response. Lord, too often I see all the reasons why I can walk away. I want to be more like you. In my sacrificial generosity, Lord, I pray that we be a people that would own this and do this like you did it. That we lay down our lives in such a way that others would be able to live. We love you. We celebrate you as Lord. And Lord, we're going to take another song to worship you this morning. We love you. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.